And we are live. Yo, so we're recording. We're, we, how are we recording today? We're recording no cans, no headphones. We do have cans. So the style we of Buta Vista. Let's do a quick can check. Can check. Can check. What do we got in cans? I'm, uh, I'm, rocking, a can. a, I'm rocking a Heineken. <laughs> Everyone's rocking a Heineken. We're all rocking a Heineken. Yo, Heineken sponsor us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No variety in the cans. Just no, no variety in the Heineken. cans. Pure Heineken. Mm-hmm. Once a year. Or Absolutely. other beer brands that are afraid of Heineken getting an edge in the sort of leftist podcast market sponsor us. You know, we're a, we're a free agent. We're not wedded to Heineken. Don't, Heineken, don't think you can lowball us. So, true. No, it's true. a beer brand needs to sponsor us. We're still in phase one of Trans, trans Futures, so Heineken is, you know, it's got a pitch for phase two. Yeah, phase, well, phase yeah. two is when we get sponsored by a beer brand, and then Bam Margera, who is in the UK right now, yeah. comes on the show. Although I don't think he drinks any, yo, he's trying to kick his alcoholism. Ah, oh, we'll get him back on it. Uh, we've got we've got phase two, two phase Tragic two furious, <laughs> two phase two furious, and then phase three, phase banks. <laughs> All right, put the theme song in. That's <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. You guys had a theme song. Yeah, we do. Um, okay, it's just the call to prayer. <laughs> no, the theme song, the theme song that you just heard. It were event when we're going to replace it with the Shahada, mm. so that eventually Hussein. The only reason Hussein agreed to be on this bad show was that so he could turn the entirety of Britain Muslim. Shahada Twain, a country singer who turns people Muslim. <laughs> Welcome to your bonus TF for the week, folks. Uh, it's me, Riley, and I'm in studio with a slimmed down cast, including Milo. <laughs> yeah, man, I've been I've been on nothing but milkshakes for weeks. I've dropped some. I'm cut. I'm lean as fuck. Yo, Milo's on this new diet where you drink nothing but ice cream milkshakes for weeks for every <laughs> meal. He's incredibly bloated. He's perfectly spherical. You drink nothing but your own cum, <laughs> but at the end, you're so strong, <laughs> so powerful. Speaking of strong. We are joined. <laughs> Speaking of drinking your own Speaking cum. Speaking of drinking your own cum, we're joined by Will Strong of Autonomy. Will, Hello, how's it how going? are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you? Uh, still, that's so British. Still very well. Still very well. Autonomy, for those of you who do not know, is a think tank that is trying to revolutionize the world of work. Um, not in the way that most like you know dumb startups do it by being like, hey, if you come in early, you get ten points you can exchange for an Amazon voucher or whatever. No, they're trying to make us work less because, as Blink One Eighty Two said, work sucks. I know. <laughs> yeah, basically that's it. So yeah. the reason you might have heard of autonomy as <laughs> well was recently. a direct quote from their website. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no autonomy, work sucks. Yeah. See, the reason you may have heard of autonomy is. That they have been really pushing, and they're one of the main intellectual forces behind um, the current uh, m- sort of, let's say, intellectual f- like f- like foment that is around the four day work week, and that's an idea that's actually currently being taken seriously uh, by John McDonald's office in the Labour Party. And I'm sure I speak for everyone when I say we need a four day work week now, so that we can eventually move to a no day work week. <laughs> uh- yeah, long term, long term goals, long term goals. Yeah. Oh yeah, long term goals. But of course, as uh, John McTernan, mega genius, said, "But a four day work week, the surely that will make everyone twenty five percent poorer." 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's what he would say, and that's what every conservative says when they come face to face with this proposal. Mm. So, um, I don't know if you want to talk about that now. Do you want to talk about? Yeah, let's, let's let's do that as the table setter. Then we'll go oh. into what dumb conservatives have said. This is for the audience. This is a little table of contents for your ass. Um, let's do that. What dumb conservatives have said. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the report itself, and then let's do a little reading from one of the biggest brained magazines in the entire world that isn't the Spectator. Amazing. So I actually recently listened to a radio phone-in debate about the four-day work week. I mean, I say recently, this could have been at any time in the past year. My brain is mush. Like, who knows? Um, And I think it was the Jeremy Vine show on BBC Radio 2. Now, if you're not familiar with the Jeremy Vine show, what Jeremy Vine likes to do is take a very complex question and throw it out to absolute morons to see what take they might have on it. And But then often he, like, massively mismatches, like, the the headline debaters who are calling in, because, like, the public can call in, but also he'll have some, like, go-to, like, you know, experts on both sides of the uh, both sides of the issue right so he had someone in basically an academic an economist of some kind who was in favor of a four-day work week and was saying the very normal arguments that yes this actually makes sense and then against them he just had some conservative mp or someone whose entire argument was like well, but that's bollocks. Like, and every time it was like, well, when you look at all of the data, what you'll find is that actually in a four-day work week, we can be just as productive as we are in the five-day work week now, but with the added social benefits of people. And they're trying, to, might I just say, though, that's bollocks. <laughs> because we've always had a five-day work week, so this must be bollocks. Thank you. And it, that went on for like half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but didn't you think that it might be bollocks? <laughs> what I'm saying about that is that the bar for this episode is low. So anything right, above yeah. that and we've beaten that. So that's Anything good. above bollocks? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, most people do, most people's reactions straight away are normally like, it sounds awesome. And then like the second reaction is, I don't want to be poorer. And I think that's like, fair enough, right? Mm-hmm. But I guess the point is not to do this kind of like, let's reduce the work we eat because we can pay people less. But more like, let's look at history where we've moved from an 11-hour day, 10-hour day, 9-hour day, 8-hour day, and let's just keep going because why have we stopped? That's basically the, the gist of it. Mm. And that, those reductions in hours have not meant reduction in wages. In fact, when we went from an 11-hour to a 9-hour day, wages are going up. So that's, that's the main historical thing to point to. So when people say, we have to cut wages, it's like, yeah, but why? Yeah. We have now, to cut wages so that, so, that so that growth can happen because growth, we need growth, endless growth. Bro, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I guess the, the other part of the report, which we which we like draw attention to, is this is kind of they're both you got to talk about both in the same breath. Is that actually, you know, let's let's have like investment in labor saving tech. Let's automate loads of the economy. Let's reduce the working weeks. Like you know, manage that, and that means that like we can have if you want growth. Although that's a debate. Yeah, if you want growth, you can have growth. But why are we doing the work when we can get machines to do it? Like why are we why are we not investing? Oh, it's, now, it's well, so it's so I- Elon Musk can be epic on Twitter. <laughs> well, can I throw in a counterpoint to that, which is, have you considered that all of that is bollocks? <laughs> <laughs> I might add, have you Googled Venezuela? <laughs> I've, been, I've been reading some very intellectual papers recently <laughs> by people like Sir Chaffley Cashmore, <laughs> M- MP for South South End, who believes that that is in fact bollocks. <laughs> and, and I mean, look, Amazon rolled out its new delivery robot today, and I'm sure all of the workers wearing diapers because they're like, well, not because they're Turning Point USA fans, but because they're <laughs> they're basically wor- they're they're working in horrifying conditions, right? <laughs> Charlie Kirk work at Amazon. Charlie Kirk work. He would be so good at Amazon. He loves billionaires. He mm. he's really really into like the kind of jeans that you order on Amazon. I think. 
Uh, yeah. He could probably use some bigger teeth. Maybe they have good dental. And well, it's a perfect fit. This is synergy. This is why the podcast works. <laughs> Amazon's dream is bigger teeth for everyone. <laughs> Amazon's dream okay. is just to make everyone bugs bunny. You may awesome. have poverty wages, but look how huge your teeth are. <laughs> yeah, but like, right, they, they've automated all of their delivery. And that means that, you know, that's great, perfect. A bunch of people who like sacrifice their lives and like phys- the physical integrity of their bodies get thanked and then fired. Yeah, that's the mo- current model we're working on, right? Like, you either, like, if companies do automate, it's it's <clears throat> in no way to improve the but lives of the And Bezos gives to charity. <laughs> How would he give to charity if he didn't have an enormous amount of wealth to begin this with? This is where we run that clip from Rooker Bregman at Davos. That's pretty much what you should do now. And every time we talk about philanthropy, run the run the Bregman clip and, and we're away. But, no, you've mistaken the nature of our podcast. This is where we run the episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where Charlie tries to say he's a philanthropist but can't say the word. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah, fine. That. Do that too, do that. Right, so first, let's talk about some dumbass politicians who are trying to talk about the nature of work and what it means to people. Um, remember, the only correct interpretation of work is the Blink-182ist school. Uh, but let's, yeah. let's, let's talk about two of the biggest sort of like cartoon villains in sort of a transatlantic political recent history. Mm. I, of course, these are domestic policy villains, not like Henry Kissinger, who's in a league of his own. Yeah. yeah, we should make a sequel to A League of Their Own instead of, and it should be starring Henry Kissinger. It's a one-man show. Just, just getting spotlight pelt- on, a, on a theater. <laughs> it's just Henry Kissinger just getting pelted with baseballs. A version of Takeshi's Castle, but Henry Kissinger is the only contestant. <laughs> Who, who's the general in that? Going, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is a, a, an excerpt for, uh, from the remarks made by Paul Ryan at the 2014 uh, CPAC, Conservative Political Action Committee Conference. Or conservative Mm. political action conference. Some conservative shit in the United States. Um, What the left is offering people is a full stomach and an empty soul. The American people want more than that. He went on to talk about a young boy who got a government-provided free lunch at school every day. But the boy said he, quote, didn't want a free lunch. He wanted his own lunch. Wanted a brown paper bag, just like the other kids. Because he knew a kid with a brown paper bag had someone who cared for him. (laughs) He's in a brown paper bag and it's just got a bottle of whiskey in it. (laughs) Yo, okay, come on, junior hobos. That's a hilarious idea that I would like to park. Oh man, I fucking love Paul Ryan. He's got such a powerful brain. Oh, like yeah. for a man who was, you know, made he was like a Playmobil model turned sentient. He's done remarkably well for himself. Um, but like the thing that's amazing about this is like the full stomach, empty soul thing. Is like imagine this kid who's eating their free lunch and otherwise they wouldn't have had a lunch, and then they're just going. Yeah, but did I really earn this? Yeah, yeah. Like, Paul Ryan's solution isn't that, like, he would, like, go down there and make that kid's mum make them a loving homemade lunch. Like, Paul Ryan's view is like, no, he just wouldn't have a lunch, but that would teach him a valuable lesson about the market. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's just, I don't know, he's conceding a lot of ground, right? He's basically saying, like, oh, socialism sucks. It gives everyone a full stomach. (laughs) It's, It's like not even admitting that basically, like, you know, the austere kind of image of socialism. Instead, it's saying... Socialism only offers people full stomachs and like, it's kind of like, well, that sounds kind of fine. And, yeah. and I guess like this idea of the, the, the paper bag thing is like, he wanted his own lunch. It's like, it's not his own lunch. His parents bought it and made it for him and just given it to him. It's like, you know, it's the same thing as being given a lunch from school. Like, yeah, he doesn't own the lunch if his parents give it to him. Like, also, like lots of kids pay to have lunch at school. It's not like if your parents love you, they definitely make you a lunch. Some parents just give you money to buy lunch at yeah, school. It's true. Like, it's true. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, the the whole. And I think this really gets to the core of the conservative of conservative ideas around work and ownership and why they would object to something like a four day work week, um, where it's like no, you have to earn it. Uh, where the idea is that 
you have to keep transforming yourself so you're always useful to Jeff Bezos so that when he automates your bit of the workforce, you're still useful to him in some other way. Yeah, I think, I don't know, it's obviously it's quite, it's like a long-standing tactic to basically say, to go for the soul, basically. So basically, like, not only is it, you know, you're materially well off, actually, something deeply embedded in your soul, which means that you know, even if you are automated, you, your soul still wants to work, so you have to still be desperate to find mm. the next job you need. And then also, um, this idea of basically... You, it's got like a religious overtone, which comes straight from the Protestant work ethic. Yeah, like, like the idea that like we getting Weber up in this shit. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah exactly. Weber, rather. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't really know. It kind of his his analogy kind of trails off to think about like getting a lunch, um, and it's about care, but it's also about his empty soul. I don't really. Yeah. Well, it, it's it, I'll, I'll carry on. Here's what Paul Ryan carries on to say. This is what the left does not understand. Uh, because he is, he is then basically, he, this is all arguments about Obamacare, right? This, the, this is what the left does not understand. And he's talking about how this means that the, the people will leave work if they have Obamacare because they won't be forced to work on their pain of death, basically. People don't want a life of comfort. They want <laughs> a life of... old motivation, Riley. Want, yeah. People don't want a life of comfort. They want a life of dignity and self-determination. Why oh. the fuck are those things juxtaposed? Yeah, I mean, this is just this is the typical kind of rhetoric you get when anyone talks about work. Uh, you get this kind of typical dignity comes with work. You don't just want comfort and material goods because don't worry, we're not going to give you those anyway. <laughs> um, but but like, and also you want self determination. It's like this idea of putting yourself up from your own boots with your own bootstraps. When actually, I mean, if you look at, for example, the kind of work that we have to do these days, or like, as you're talking about Bezos, Amazon work, for example. Um, do we say that's got dignity in? I mean, should we say that? Should we say that it's about self-determination when you have a little page which tells you when you have to get to the next, like, box which is being shipped up to Riley? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's not dignified. I well, mean, like, the, no, I'm not, not yeah. dignified, but like, basically I don't think the people who are doing that think, man, this is, like, the most dignified part of my life right now. Yeah. Like, they have, like, they have, like, the lives. world. Exactly. They have, like, lives outside of that which they'd rather be doing rather than, like, running around with a manager on a, on a pager, you know? Yeah, I feel like most people. So I recently had an argument uh, with uh, at sort of an employer, I guess, which I feel like encapsulates this where like I was being put up for some work by a tutoring agency. And I happen to know the guy at the tutoring agency who's like, yeah, this kid's kind of a shithead, like, but, you know, they need someone to like do this. And I'm like, fine. But then the person who was like managing this client didn't want to put me up for it because they felt that like my heart wasn't in it. And I'm like, whose heart is in teaching like the incredibly privileged shithead kid of like some oligarchs so that they can get an advantage over like a poorer but smarter kid? Like how much of a rube would you have to be to be like, no, I just believe in the good of education. Like you would have to be so dumb that there would be nothing you could teach that child and in that way you would be the perfect client because you would the perfect uh tutor rather because you would just be stealing money from the family and making doing, the kid dumber accidentally doing radical praxis by being really stupid redistributing wealth baby <laughs> redistributing wealth by accident but that's the this is i think gets the core of what the right thinks about work which is that they think that there is which is that if, if you're left to your own device, especially the working class is left to its own devices, then it will sort of, without the discipline and structure of a boss who's educated and from the middle or upper classes, the working class will, just drift, come to the end of a level. will just drift into vice and indolence and will sort of cry out for meaning and structure. It's a way of looking at the working class as children, I think. Yeah, it's, it's like a total lack of faith or trust in other people. But I think also there's a fear. There's a fear that if basically you give material kind of like 
sustainability and comfort and you also give people access to doing other stuff rather than jobs then basically like your time's up <laughs> i think there is yeah. a certain fear to it like i.e there's way more people who are under the cosh of like a manager than those who are doing the managing if you suddenly allow those people to have a choice uh oh you know well, this is like this goes back to something, and I think we'll we'll transition on across the Atlantic uh, to Ian Duncan Smith on Universal Credit, right? And this goes back to something that um, Michael Walker said on an, an episode of, of ours a few months ago, which is that none of these reforms about none of these benefit cuts or whatever, none of it's to save money. In fact, it mm. costs more to aggressively means test this much um, than it does to just give people benefits, right? Yeah. Um, it's about fandom. But what it does is it disciplines the labor. It sort of is. It disciplines the labor market because it means you can't just leave your job. Yeah. It means you can't agitate for better conditions because if you, if you lose your job, you get cast into um, the unemployment industry, basically, yeah. where you're sort of churned into mush and have to take the first job you're given. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, like, I mean, just to come in on that, like, I think we should always remember that, like, universal credit follows, like, in a huge long line uh, of basically reforms for the last 200 years around what out-of-work benefits are for. So basically, like, if you look at the workhouse system and the poor laws, the 1834 and, and onwards, like, explicitly, politicians are debating in Parliament around, wait a second, we have to make life out... They literally are saying, we have to make life outside of work and the workhouse worse than it is in work. And the reason why that system failed is because life uh, in work was so poor that it, like, it, to make it worse in the workhouse was literally making, letting people die. So it became a crisis. Mm. And so if you think about that, and you get to the point where we're starting creating job centers and labor exchanges in 1909, Churchill and Beveridge are debating in parliament saying stuff like, okay, we need to, like, we need to actually like, distinguish between the deserving poor and the undeserving poor, the, the person who wants to work, the man who wants to work and the man who, who is just idle. And so it's like a whole history. Like it's never changed, really, I, even up until now. And as, as you were saying, Riley, like that, the recent stuff around universal credit of being like, we need to make work pay and people need to be better off in work than outside of work. It's exactly the same trajectory. And we, we look in horror at the, the poor laws and the workhouses and Oliver Twist and all that stuff. But like, it's, it's basically the same now, but on a larger scale. Because the workhouse gave you a full belly, but an empty soul. <laughs> that was the problem. Well, it's the, it's the, uh, it's that the, was the problem, yeah. It's the, yeah. the workhouse is now... <laughs> free lunch, they'll never learn. They'll never learn. Yeah, yeah. If only the workhouse had more soul. The workhouse, yeah. that's the thing, the workhouse is now <laughs> distributed. James Brown in the workhouse. <laughs> the workhouse is now distributed. It's everywhere. Because the workhouse gets to you through sort of laws that touch everything. And it gets to you through your computer. It gets to you through constantly having to be available for like... Like job coaching meetings or do engaging in job searching. Have you ever done DMT? <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, Joe, Joe Rogan workhouse. Bro, what if I told you that this is we're in the system? <laughs> <laughs> what if I told you that society is real? <laughs> uh, so this is Ian Duncan Smith on Universal Credit. Uh, the government's welfare reforms have saved the taxpayer fifty billion pounds and I italicize this restored fairness to the system. As the and this plays into the idea that when people are not working, what they're doing is they're skiving off the productivity of people who are, as opposed to what's really happening, which is that there is a class of capitalists that is skiving off the productivity of everybody. Yeah, so I think mm. like yeah, and also it doesn't make much sense to me to talk about like, oh you're taking taxpayers' money, but it's like Welfare cuts, like at some point in, a, in everyone's life, statistically, you'll, you will use welfare. So ultimately, like the same people you're saying you're stealing from are also the people who are going to be using the system anyway. So it's like yeah. this idea that you're like, there's some people who just will never use it, etc. There's like a tiny percentage of people who never use it. And they're from like a mm. pre-capitalist aristocratic tradition. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's like- Jacob Rees-Mogg, yeah. for example. <laughs> the yeah. Mogs. 
Yeah, um, a, a man who may at some point wear two monocles. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's a worrying. He's a worrying man. Is it's like the it's like the fucking like uh, turning point turning point UK today who were like, um, you know, there will always be a fundamental struggle between people who work for what they earn and people who earn get what they get unearned because those the people who work for what they earn are paying for the income of people who don't earn the money that they get and it's like yeah my rent is two thousand pounds a month like yeah. yes <laughs> yes I, like yes there is a huge class of people who do. <laughs> nothing and and use my labor to fund their lives yeah and it's a good thing we have all five days that we can really make sure that we can nurture our souls by like (laughs) making by making sure jacob Rees-Mogg has enough money for a second monocle or like a dick sucking machine or whatever like how high do you have to be to regard taxation as more of a theft than rent like how high because i i've been high but i've never been that high (laughs) but what, what is it i mean this is like this is perhaps a slightly more serious point, but what is interesting about that turning point thing is to is to basically say that, like the same critique that, that um, the growing bourgeoisie were making to the aristocracy, which is basically like, hey, we're making stuff, and you guys mm. just sit there with your land. We're productive, is then also used by certain strands of the labour movement to say, look, the bourgeoisie, we're doing the work, like more legit- it's a more mm-hmm. legitimate critique. Uh, we're doing the work. You guys are are kind of like shaving off our our income, but then. At some point, and this is the question that's more, I don't know, a bit more philosophical, is to be like, well, should we stop making that same critique? Because basically it's kind of being like, I work harder than you. Yeah. I work harder than you. Like, if you don't work as hard as me, you don't deserve stuff, which is yeah. like, so the, I think the end game of that argument is pretty problematic, but mm. it's still useful to say, hey, you're just a renter. Like, yeah. re- re- like renter is bullshit because it doesn't create, it's not pro- productive well, anyway. But, well, but, you know what I mean? Well, it's like, I think yes. with, 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 a, with, by combating rentism, instead of, in, by, instead of saying that work is good and everyone should take the product of what they of what they worked for, we can make the converse argument and just combat rentism. Yeah, which is to say that taking advantage of other people is bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so instead of instead of valorizing work, we can demonize the taking of, the taking advantage of. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think exactly. really that's where that's a critique the left should be advancing more than the one that is sort of pure workerism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. Right, there is no more potent slur than landlord. <laughs> The the Landlords Association, I think, really, I think, did say that. They're so good. They're amazing. Like, if you've not come across them, they have. um, They recently recently boycotted B and Q because B and Q donates a percentage of his profits to shelter, which they regard as an anti-landlord organization. Oh my god. (laughs) Really? It's so funny. It's like awesome. their official fucking position rule. is literally fuck the homeless. <laughs> their official position is basically to be in a high back chair stroking a cat. They're like <laughs> they're like imagine if someone went a step further than saying like we should ban boycotting Israel and was like we should boycott Palestine. Like that's where the landlords that's wow. where the landlords yeah, are. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked about some of the, the the climate that this report is entering into, but let's talk about the report. So what I've got here is I've just sort of got the outline of the report. We're going to sort of talk through the skeleton. So you say that the shorter working week is a powerful and practical response to the trends of, um, of growing inequalities, gendered inequalities, precarious work, stagnating productivity growth, and the idea of, of capital replacing labor through automation. Can you talk a little bit about how that is? Yeah. So I guess when we, when we looked at, we started looking 
at the research around uh, the state of the UK economy, it was kind of, it's, it was a bad, it wasn't pretty, you know? So we kind of, what, things aren't good? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Whoa. It, it really was like, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the def- Well, can I put it to you that that's bollocks? <laughs> I, excuse me a yeah. second. <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry, it sounds to me like you're talking down Britain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I don't even know, but I have four properties and the rent is pretty high, so it's going really well. And Britain's, Britain's in her prime. She's an Instagram thought. She's about to hit her peak. <laughs> you'll, you'll add Britain's premium snap. <laughs> Jean-Claude Juncker is just jealous that he never got to fuck Britain. <laughs> Sorry. Carry on, please. Yeah, I mean, that we should have just written that. Um, <laughs> no, so, so we had, like, yeah, all these trends are all pretty worrying, and they, a lot of them are, like, long-term and not, like, they're not amenable to quick fixes. So job polarization, for example, is, is the idea that basically over, like, 40 years, like, middle-income jobs are hollowing out, and we've got, like, a, some high-income jobs coming about, um, obviously a lot of tech jobs, things like that, but also loads of low-wage jobs, and that's been, like, that's been like a tendency for ages and and some of the the, the you know the causes are like low worker voice so trade unions but also like yeah investment in capital rather than investing in labor so we looked at stuff like that we looked at the wealth inequalities i mean some of these stats around income inequality is crazy i mean wealth inequality is worse like 10 9 no, 9% of the of the population in the uk own 45% of wealth which is insane and in america it's way worse but i mean in the uk it's like it's one, i think it's probably the worst in europe i have, I have to check the report Income inequality is crazy. Like, there's like, you have you know, the average CEO earns 145 times more than the average employee on the FTSE 100 companies. So that's like, and you know, the high pay center has done some really good work on this. Basically, it would take an an employee earning median average UK wages 167 years to earn the average yearly income of the average CEO in this country. Which is like, if you tell the people that, like. Even if whatever part of the spectrum you're from, like, I even told my I told my mum that, and she was like. She was like, "Oh no, no, no! That's that's wrong." <laughs> like yeah. she was like, like, "Like she was like, okay, if someone earns four million as a CEO, they should earn one million and spread the rest out to the workers." And I was like, "I mean, that's kind of crazy." My mom's like, "Like she's both conservative all her life." Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I think that those kind of facts are really important, and to make us think, well, actually, like, what would a new deal for 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 working people be, which is kind of combats these? So to answer your question, like we basically think a shorter working week, you know, as a continuing a continuance of like the trend of reducing hours over the last 150 years, but also as part of like a new um, kind of economic settlement, which shows that actually the economy works for people, not just for the CEOs of the FTSE 100 companies, but also works for just the people who are working for them. So that was like a Tesco employee or whatever. Like it actually shows it works for them. Like, I mean, what better way to do it than give you a Friday off basically? Yeah, well, it's that they're, because the, the, the classic, like the classic economics problem, like when it goes back to like Smith, Basically, is that you is that in a wage labor system, everyone has to weigh up the how much of their of their time is spent on leisure and how much of the time is spent on paid work. And anything short of a legislated shorter week will mean that their 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 masters, their managers, whoever can force can basically force them to um, to work more for less money. Because like, if you give people extra vacation days, for example, it's very easy for a company to just pressure them not to take them. You know, yeah. so, so this kind of structural level change, it seems to me, is the only thing that could actually affect a real improvement in most people's lives. Yeah, and basically every time, as I was saying before, every time we've moved from an 11-hour day to a 10-hour day to a 9-hour day, basically, if you look at the documents at the time for businesses, they're like, this is going to ruin the economy. And like, my company's going to go bust. And like... We, like you know, I think actually in in the in the first volume of Capital, Marx 
points to, to, to oh he spanks that British economy yeah, the that, guy who's like in the 11th hour we earn yeah. all our profits so yeah. like we need to like have the 11th hour and it's like yeah. no like, that's not true mm. and also the 11th hour is when all the gollywogs get made <laughs> do you want to live in a society with no gollywogs <laughs> what would we do the jam industry would collapse <laughs> like that's perhaps not out of place. Some people might be saying that today. It's like, that's, 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 that's the depressing thing. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the Jacob Rees Monk podcast, <laughs> we're not saying he said that. We're just saying no. two unconnected statements. Yeah. I um, mean, you know, talking about monocles, probably. So we, this is, in fact, your, 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 the next point in the outline where it's like there is this still this persistent myth that productivity and the number of hours worked by, by employees per day um, produces the outcome of a business. But this is not true. No. So I guess what we did was we looked at other countries around the world where, you know, if it was true that the amount of hours you put in, like working workers to the bone every day, if that meant that you'd have a greater output, more productivity, um, greater GDP output, then then, that, then we'd expect to see in countries which work more, we'd expect them to be having a great, like a more productive economy, greater GDP, and those that work less to have kind of a, like a greater, uh, sorry, a lower output. But that's just not true at all. So Japan, for example. Japan right. has a punitive working culture where yeah. sort of you can never get there um, after the boss. You must always leave after the boss leaves. It's routine to have like a 12 or 13 hour day and you take one day off a week, maybe. And they've been in a low, GD- low GDP trap for like two decades. Yeah, it's an amazing Logan Paul documentary about that. <laughs> and they've all, I mean, the worst thing about Japan is they have a name for death by overwork, Kuroshi, which basically like, there's a, it's, a, it's basically an, it's an epidemic of, of, of you know, thousands of people each year die from overwork because the working culture is so punitive. You're right. So, so what we did was we looked at, for example, Greece and Mexico who work a lot more than we do in the UK um, and their GDP and their, their economies are performing much worse. And then we looked at Germany, for example, who work effectively enough so that they could down tools on Thursday be as productive as we are while we're still working through Friday. So mm-hmm. that was a really good example to look at something where it's like, well, doesn't really mean you're more successful if you work harder. And so that comes down to a number of factors. And this is really important to stress, again, that when we talk about productivity and talk about um, you know, hours of p- people working, well, let's look at our investment in machinery. And like the UK is really, really low investing in robots and machinery, whereas things like people like people, <laughs> countries like America and China and Japan, they, they spend so much money investing in robotics that you know, um, it, it, it's kind of, that's a really important factor to, 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 to kind of tag in. It's not just lazy workers, basically. And also, the, the thing that you can't sort of ignore also is that the UK has an almost, exc- I mean, most of our GDP now comes from like third sector, right? Sort of ser- like services, either sort of the more blue collar services like, like waiters and stuff. Sectors of the third or kind. the more sort of white collar services like consultants and bankers and so on. And I mean, most of those, and of course, cocaine. <laughs> and most of <laughs> the those, most white collar service of all, the white nostril services, <laughs> the, yeah. the whitest of the white services. Mm. Um, most of those uh, of those workers would have probably what David Graeber calls bullshit jobs. Right. So I mean, yeah, I think I think the bullshit jobs thesis is quite useful as a as a kind of provocative um, kind of idea. I mean, I think what what strikes me most about the bullshit jobs thing is basically when people say. Um, people's response to automation is we just create more jobs no matter what um, and I think actually mm-hmm. it's like well let's just think about the content of these jobs like do, like do we want to have I mean people say don't worry if automation comes there's going to be growth in other sectors things like catering hospitality um, you know yeah, restaurants things like that and it's like well these professions are typically like the least popular amongst the work, the workers who are in them so if you look at some of the stats around you know um, like your enjoyment on the job hospitality is like pretty low no one like being mm. a waiter or being a chef and I was a chef um, in in 
in like a fa- famous chain. Um, and it was awful. You know, it was one of the worst jobs I've ever had. You kill the scribble guy. <laughs> you had a full belly, yes. but an empty soul. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, we had no we had empty stomachs. Everyone else had full stomachs and we were cooking all the food. Anyway, so the, the, the point is, the bullshit jobs thesis really should make us think, well, actually, what kind of jobs should we, will we, should we be creating? And I guess, like, what jobs should we, what jobs should we revalue? Yeah. So I think, like, that's really what it said. I mean, aside from the fact that, like, a lot of people think they're in a bullshit job, which is interesting in itself, like, actually, it should make us think, well, not any, any job's not a good job. Mm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, there, there seems to be this drive to be like, we cannot distribute the benefits of, like, cooperation and industry except through employment. There is no other way to make it so that people living in an industrial society can continue to survive except by wage. It's never been any... It's because we've had an industrial wage society forever and will continue to forever. Yeah. But not for us, of course. We, I do, we don't survive on wage. We survive on our investments. No, but you... <laughs> well, this is almost the Edmund Burke argument where he says, look, if there weren't idle rich working, like, like just consuming the labor of everybody else, then how would beautiful art get commissioned? <laughs> yeah, I guess like the, the sublime object of Burkeology. Um No, but I think that fucking sucks. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I could go back in time. I would just fucking sack tap Edmund Burke. No, I would send Ryan Dunn back in time to sack tap Edmund Burke. You just have to go back in time to a point where Ryan Dunn was alive. Yeah, that's explain dark. to him what time dark. machine that's was. Dark. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think what, what I see on that point. What's interesting is that there were, like you know I do a lot of research into into this, this this stuff and the workhouse stuff as well. And if you look at some of the debates going on at the time. The, the grim thing is that being poor was identical with working. So some of the politicians at the time and some intellectuals of the 19th century, 18th, 17th century, 18th, 17th century, was basically saying you know, to, to, to the definition of being poor is to labor and vice versa. Whereas like now, if you say we're the working poor, that's a scandal, quite rightly, because mm. if you're going to work, you should be able to be successful and like look after yourself and your friends and family, whatever. But actually, that was the grim reality. Now, I wonder if basically behind some of these ideologies, is particularly those who have a rental income, particularly those who are well off and come from aristocratic families, if basically, if you're poor and you're working, or if you're working and you're poor, that's kind of the natural order of things. And that is, that's mm. something which I think we should all be scared of. Particularly, you know, our generation, which is, I mean, I assume we're on the same generation. Um, you know, that's, you know, that's becoming more and more a reality. That's us, us thinking, actually, wait, our, our previous generations were better off than us. And now maybe we're just declining in a way. What's that, it's mm. that we, we're, we're, if, I, if you, you listen to our last episode with Owen Hatherley, it's that we're all fans of coal dust now. We have like our smear artisanal coal dust on our faces because we want to get in touch with something more honest and because real. Because they want to be elected to be governor of Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you also talk about, here's, I want to sort of go into the next uh, sort of um, next point here. Also, you say that you consider that the importance of non-work time for our mental and physical health and just our sense of well-being and happiness in general is crucial. Yeah, I mean, like that. It's partly it sounds like an obvious point, right? I mean, I think like we we all recognise that, but it's also there's a whole range of benefits from having um having more time for ourselves. Basically, I mean that like, there's a great book by um it's called Rest by it's published by Penguin, um and it, it it talks about all of like it takes a very much kind of great men of history view in a way, but ultimately there's there's some really interesting stories around Darwin and Dickens and Marx and other people and what were their working days like and like. Ultimately, the thesis is that you're more creative. You like there's much more kind of interesting things going on when you work in the morning, go for a walk in the afternoon, things like that. I mean, that's just one example. But I think, I mean, the way I put it when I wrote about the report in in the, in in the news is basically to say something like, "Can we afford to not make this change?" Because we have a huge mental health epidemic, and 
a quarter of all sick absences are from work-related stress, from workload alone. So nearly half of work absences are work-related things like stress, anxiety, depression, but a quarter of work absences just from having too much workload. And I think that stress on the, on the NHS, someone like Deloitte, so Deloitte, you know, even mm. not exactly the bastion of left-wing thought, Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> quickly, quickly Google's Deloitte. Yeah. Fuck. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I've been, I've been sending them money every month. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I thought they were Leninists. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, Deloitte, uh, they, 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 their study showed that basically, like, millions, millions of pounds each year are uh, spent by the NHS to basically, you know, cater to these kind of work-related strains. And I think... Let's think about it that way. It's rather than like, oh, we're going to lose money by people working less. Well, actually, we're already losing money by people working too much. Mm. Mm. And in fact, again, the more we work, the more, the more we sort of are facilitating our own exploitation. And so that's where like the whole we, like, the we work hustle culture thing is like, no, you've got to do 16 hours a day so you can... And it's less about fulfilling their soul now and more about proving mm. you're better than everyone else and how relentlessly you can exploit yourself for like Mark Zuckerberg. I feel like yeah. that's I mean, always fulfilling your soul is always about basically making your soul look better. Like yeah. like it was like work, loads of forms of work are never really fulfilling of the soul to the extent that basically if you say to someone, you know, do you love your work? Yes. Do you want to work four days instead of five for the same pay? Absolutely. It's like, oh, so mm -hmm. like, like, fine. You like to say that, you, you know, often people like to say they love their work, but, you know, a day off, they can think of like a million things they'd rather do. Mm. You know what I mean? But the WeWork thing is interesting, though, because I think the WeWork thing, um, it's a small amount of the population who are going to use these spaces, but ultimately it's like the, it is the ultimate kind of work-life blurring. There's free beer, there's free food mm. everywhere. Like everyone's there kind of they're in their slippers and stuff. And I feel like... Like Viva La Bam. <laughs> it is. We're it, at work, but really we're a family. You thought you thought Viva La Bam went away, but it was just investing in the future. <laughs> first, first as Viva La Bam, then as we work, history repeats itself. Viva La Bam. First as tragedy, then and <laughs> yeah. first as tragedy, then as Viva La Bam, then as we work. Wait, hang on a minute. No, Viva La Bam was first as fast, <laughs> then as fast, yeah. then ultimately as tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. Ryan Dunn. R.I.P. Ryan Dunn, I was going to say. Yeah. Um, so you, <laughs> yep. Everybody listening, if you're carrying a drink, please pour a small amount out for Ryan Dunn. Yeah. In, in, um, the, in the classical... Well, just cheers to it now. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Ryan Dunn, everyone. In the ancient cheers. Greek style. To Ryan cheers. Dunn. To Ryan Dunn. Mm. So... Paul Walker while we're at it. <laughs> you also talk about um, waged and... <laughs> we're a family. Oh. <laughs> no. You pick up the now. meat. <laughs> You cook up to me. There's <laughs> one like the Fast and the Sopranos. No, what's that? Oh no! Oh, I, I was saying. Oh, it's a uh, and and hold on. Uh, Jackass skate park in Bam Margera's house. You kick flip to Philly Leotardo. <laughs> <laughs> I told you before. You kick flip up to Johnny Sack and no one else. Okay, so going back to the report. <laughs> Sorry. Going back to the <laughs> fuck me. What's what's the woman's name in the Sopranos um, who gets murdered? Lorraine. Lorraine, Lorraine, oh my god, she's sick as fuck. Just kick flipping up to little Carmine. Okay. Let's all let's all recover from the from the Jackass Sopranos riff. They're all blending into one now. Yeah, it's it's alarming. Um, so you go on also to say there's a there's is a, a profoundly gendered element to this as well, right? Where you talk about waged work and unwaged work, like specifically housework that's sort of more feminized. Um, and they should be considered two sides of the same coin that would benefit from a four-day week. Yeah, so I think, you know, it's always important to, when we talk about work, often we're just talking about employment, right? Like we normally just use the same words to talk about your job. Um, but I think it's really important to stress. I think the report tried to make this 
uh, clear that basically we talk about work and we're talking about toil, basically, and we're talking about stuff we have to do, whether it's to earn money for a job or the unpaid stuff in the home, as you said. So well, the shorter working week won't necessarily like end patriarchy in one fell swoop, but it will give more time for an equal equal sharing. So, you know, at the moment, you know, women basically take on a, a, a double shift where they, they often, you know, most households are dual income households. They're both working, but also come women come home and um, uh, basically, you know, look after the kids or prepare the meals like the vast majority of the time. So it's like something like 60%, you have to check the report, 60% of housework, food prep, things like that, done by women. And so we, I guess we want to use the opportunity to talk about the shorter working week and talk in, in terms of talking about reducing that kind of work as well. Um, so if we reduce the wage working week and each partner has a day extra, um, we, we'd want to encourage more um, gender equal time use. So for example, Sweden, Sweden has a really good record on uh, paternity leave um, and in the UK we could probably do a lot better so extend paternity leave um, so that you can have an equal sharing of that kind of that kind of work I think um, it's really important so to some extent the report speaks to other issues a lot more but I think that the chapter on um, gender and work actually should be used as a, as a jumping off point basically mm. well, I think that really I think the whole thing can kind of be summed up with most of the time you are spent working as far as the things that actually benefit you, most of that time you spend working is basically wasted. The things that are good for you, that are good for your family, that are good for the people close to you, that will allow you to have a full flourishing life where you can just have the time to take care of yourself and people around you, every second you spend at a job is a waste of that time. Mm. Yeah, because I guess the, the idea is like, let's have a strict calculation here. Most people's jobs, well, it's, I would say the majority of people's jobs are there like to earn an income to do other stuff like as a means to an end and I think yeah. sometimes we want, we want to accommodate ourselves to our job to some extent we want to be like look I want to enjoy this while I'm at here because otherwise it will be torture mm -hmm. but I'd say the, the primary aim is to, is to earn income so I think means to an end let's let's you know we earn income to go do stuff other stuff so reducing that time I, I would say is in most people's interest to do but at the same time I think a useful concept is discretionary time so the idea is that like when you're if you're looking after the kids or preparing meals you're still not quite doing your discretionary time stuff like some people love cooking mm -hmm. but some people don't they're just doing it to feed to feed their family so i think another distinction must be made between like necessary time and discretionary time and i think like actually what would be the end game of the next 20 30 years of you know what we should be doing as a society what we should be increasing people's discretionary time so they can actually like do mm -hmm. other stuff basically well you know what i i remember actually I mean, that's basically uh that's 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 marx talking about the realm of necessity um but you know what i remember remember the jetsons Yes, yeah. The Jetsons oh, yeah. is a world of full, full automation. We talk about fully automated luxury communism. Well, the Jetsons is basically fully automated luxury 1950s capitalism, <laughs> yeah. where yeah. in the Jetsons you still, ha even though like things just appear in front of you should you want them, yeah. George, we can George still is working at a job. Yeah, yeah. And three hours still a day. Hate your like, wife. Yeah. And <laughs> and his, his his I remember actually this really sticks with me that. Um, his wife, I can't remember his wife's name um, in the Jetsons, but regardless. So. Typical. Typical yeah. man on the left. They can't remember. <laughs> Erasing, Erasing the wife exactly. from the Jetsons. Who's the subject yeah. in this story? Like, oh, is, is Mr. Jetson and his wife. <laughs> a Jane. Guardian. No, Jane. Because it's Jane, his wife. Yeah, it's me, George Jetson. A his boy, Elroy. Yeah, it's Jane's wife. Oh, the boy's oh. so fat. Yeah. A, a, a Guardian long read about how Hello, the wife is really Judy. the important bit of the Jetsons. No, I remember, but there was... There was we one. We can, we can adapt this in post. There was one yeah. episode where uh, I remember it was. Yeah, she was like, Jane was like going to buy a new a new kitchen, 
And she was like, well, my push button finger is just so worn out. <laughs> and mm. that's some, that, no, that, no, that is capitalist realism right there, folks. <laughs> well, I think that's actually Jetsons now. We look back, it actually looks like some kind of, it's like the contradiction of capital right in one show. It's like 1950s lifestyle. We can't imagine a world outside mm. of wage labor. At the same time, we have all the technologies to enable it. At the same time, we yeah. can't really jump out of that. So I think it's kind of, that's a really interesting little, yeah. Doesn't George Jetson carry like a briefcase yeah. as well? <laughs> like it's like what? Like what? Who would? And he, yeah. get, and he hands out. He hands. I'm now. It's all coming flooding back to me. This is, like, like, this is like this. Be, this beer and crisps has been my Madeline mm. dipped in tea. <laughs> who carries a briefcase even now? Let no, alone every, in like the insane imaginary think, future. Everyone of the just carries backpacks. Even at mm. my unspecified uh, day job, people always carry backpacks at every level. <laughs> of unspecified day no, job at the backpack those- factory. <laughs> My my dad's a pretty big wheel down at the backpack factory. No, I'm joking. Riley's a soldier. <laughs> there are, I Come did, and hate me, tankies. Yeah. In a more tragic register, there are, as, as people I know of, particularly anecdotally, my friend works in a library and there's a guy who's come in every day with a briefcase mm-hmm. and there'd be like nothing in it but like a sandwich. And he like, he'd pretend to be looking for jobs and things like that. And then ultimately they were like, you you'd like, you're not a student here, but you're kind of pretending to be kind of thing and like be suited and booted and wearing a, and like, Mm-hmm. And like that, that's the, I've heard similar stories as well, where basically it's kind of, that is the performance of like being yeah. employable. That work is a religion at this point. And it, it is. Yeah. Because, like, but it's mm. so tragic. Like Carol, Carol, it literally was an empty briefcase, yeah. with like a sandwich in and that, yeah. yeah a like, full yeah, stomach, <laughs> but an empty soul. <laughs> Again, I hate to say that everything goes back to the Simpsons, but that's just Lionel Hutz trying to prepare a case against Mr. Burns. Yeah, yeah, opens yeah. up a briefcase. There's just a sandwich in there. Exactly. exactly. It's true. It is well, I mean, it's the, this is something I talked to, um, Peter Fleming about, the guy who wrote The Death of Homo Economicus and The Worst is Yet to Come on uh, some Unlocked Comedy Book Clubs, where it's like, yeah, it's, this is just a religion at this point, where we sort of perform these sort of painful and repetitive rituals of work that are sort of soul-deadening at best, um, and we're pretty convinced that they don't actually have any real-life output, but we have this boundless faith that they will somehow make stuff just sort of better in a, a non-specified way and that we can't stop doing them. This reminds me of when I was at a well-known university. Um, and <laughs> uh, Ruskin. I, there were a lot, yeah, absolutely. There were a lot of recruitment events which one could attend in order to meet uh, potential employers. And uh, I wrote an article for a well-known student newspaper um, about how I hated these recruitment events because I felt like everyone out there was just trying to be as much of a wanker as possible and like, talking to people who are only like three years older than them about how much they just loved mergers and acquisitions and how much it was their life passion. And by God, they'd, mer- they'd merge and acquire for free if they had to because it was just the one thing they were born to do. Meanwhile, the actual graduates who'd been sent back to talk to like the potential, the potential graduates were all like dead behind the eyes, like kind of like guys who like they peaked when they were already eaten and are now just like, yeah, I love mergers and acquisitions. It's great. We've got a water polo team. You should you should do it. I worked four hundred hours in the last day. <laughs> like, and I'm just like watching it. And I'm like, why? Why is everyone like falling over themselves to pretend that they love spreadsheets? Like, no one. There's not even anyone there going like, okay, look, I want money. Like, I don't love spreadsheets because no one loves spreadsheets. But like, I, I'm prepared to do the requisite amount of spreadsheets for the money. No one is even saying that. Everyone's like, I love spreadsheets. I want to fuck spreadsheets. Can you put your dick in Clippy? Let's find out. <laughs> Uh, on on this subject, actually, uh, the Economist noted extremely smart newspaper, um, the vo- the voice of the voice of liberals who love puns and um, 
brutally right, repressive right-wing dictatorships in South America. <laughs> That's, liberals yeah. just fucking love those two things. They just love puns and Pinochet. Yeah. Pun and Saudi Arabia. Pinochet. Punisher. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Oh my god, the, the Punisher. <laughs> Yo, can someone can Netflix please make the Punisher, which is about a day in the life of the Economist? And his assistant, his assistant, but now just like, hey, can you get that filing done? Yeah, <laughs> can you get that filing done? By the, um, we need to make a new pun about how Bolsonaro has to bolster Brazil's economy. Uh, can you work oh, on no. that for the day? It's like. Uh, he's gonna round up and put all the gays in cats. Yeah, but oh, yeah. Uh, he's gonna reform the pensions. So you know, I love with the pun, the, please. <laughs> I love the idea of like the the grinding admin that goes on behind the Punisher's schedule of punishing people. It's like everyone hears about the punishing, but no one knows about the admin team. <laughs> no, without exactly. Sandra on the books, yeah, yeah. none of this would be possible. I just, Sandra, can you can you get back to that guy about the quote we had? Mm. I just I just I just love working on the Punisher's schedule and helping mm. him make spreadsheets. We need a we need a tender on those hammers. Yo, come work. Yo, uh, going to Cambridge, telling people to come work for the Punisher so you can schedule who needs. To be punished, like the Punisher is doing hot desking now. <laughs> the Punisher, the, the, the Punisher is at a WeWork. We punish, <laughs> riding a hoverboard around. <laughs> okay, yo. So, the Economist. Uh, remember how we got onto this riff? Yeah. The Economist recently published a piece um, talking about uh, Finland's experiment with universal basic income. Mm-hmm. Where if people don't know, basically what Finland did was they said we're going to trial in some areas just giving people money. Like, it's like unemployment benefits that you get whether or not you're employed. Yeah. And it's like, it's not enough to like, it's not, it wasn't enough to like live on solely, but it was mm. basically enough to alleviate a lot of financial pressure. Yeah. They couldn't do that because then in Finland, everyone would spend 24 hours a day in a sauna and they'd die. That would be <laughs> this. Yeah. Sounds like a good yeah. life to me. I mean, like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to spend the last, I'd love to just go into a, I mean, that's going to be an if allegory. I'm going to die. I'm going to die sweaty. Okay. Thank I mean, you. That's just the earth in 24 years or so. Absolutely. Maybe less. <laughs> the earth's going to die sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the lawn will be intact. Oh, God. Stay tuned for the live show. (laughs) Um, So basically, what The Economist writes is that uh, boosters of UBI argue that a minimum income would be a safety net for people in precarious jobs, like those at risk of being displaced by the kinds of automation we've been talking about. I kind of went away from their wording there. They didn't say that we've been talking about. Um, Others see it as a way of eliminating complex uh, social security bureaucracies that end up costing more than just non-means testing benefits. Naysayers, horrified by the potential cost of UBI. Um, Naysayers, Tories, yeah. and also horses. An <laughs> unlikely alliance. <laughs> yeah, unless the horses are some. conservatives sayers. <laughs> they just say <laughs> stuff. They're sayers of nay. <laughs> yeah, they're sayabolic sayers. <laughs> um, horrified by the potential cost of UBI. Fret that state handouts will put recipients off work entirely. Early results from... <laughs> I'm Finland- not so sure about this work thing anymore. <laughs> 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 Uh, Early results from Finland's basic income experiment, released February 8th, suggest that such fears are overdone, but that the income doesn't resolve much else. That is to say, um, uh, UBI supporters will be disappointed that the scheme did not increase time worked. (laughs) Yeah, so just to be clear here, no one in the UBI movement, no one who's seriously advocating basic income from a progressive perspective ever said um, that the point of basic income is to get more people into work. What they said sometimes is that if you look at the experiments in Kenya and stuff, Kenya, India, um, and elsewhere, that basically like employment levels didn't really change that much. People were like, you know, they find they 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 had jobs, but they also had this financial security. So it's just really strange that all the coverage, including the BBC's coverage, pretty much unanimously has been like, 
failure because there hasn't been more employment. And it's like, what? Do you, do you, you're mixing this up with a job guarantee scheme, like or like <laughs> some kind of like employment. It's not. It's like you're giving yeah. people money to like make their lives better, and it's kind of worked. And employment hasn't tanked. That's that's the success. Yeah. <laughs> like, They're like out, outside of school, going. So your stomach's full with this universal baking, and he's like, yes. But your soul, your science speaks volumes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mr. Simpson, please. <laughs> please don't continue having an empty soul. <laughs> right? Well, it's, 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 the, 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 the article concludes with like, they will be cheered by the fact, uh, they will be cheered by the fact that participants merely reported being happier. <laughs> yeah. So like, it's, this, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about like... Pussies. Yeah, like... <laughs> Like, like you know, like, it's what we're talking about. Like, welfare systems are not like it's surprising to see that they're designed to make people happier. That's that, that's what we're getting from this, which is yeah. crazy. It, interesting. Welfare makes people ha- shocking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it's like imagine if did you ever watch Benefit Street? No. There's a, it's a program in the UK where they it's like a really stigmatizing program where it showed people who are on benefits and what they do all day. It's like poverty porn. Yeah. It was like it was like the, it was a dark probably- version of Richard Scarry's Busy Town. <laughs> but, like, Lazy Town, a different show. Well, yeah, I remember that was a different show. I used to yeah. post about that on forums when I was thirteen. I was home with like the weird, the weird Italian uh, guy with the moustache. Remember that one, the cake song from Lazy what? Town. You, that you sounded, that sounded like an IRA bomb yeah. threat phone call. Yeah, because we <laughs> no. No, that was like that was like premium early two thousands internet content was to distort the cake song from Lazy Town. Oh, you well, guys are all philistines. We all learned something new today. Um, right, but truly so, that was the Tolstoy of its day. Indeed, but Benefit Street. No, so I think like basically the, the the point of the show implicitly, as I saw it, was basically you either laugh at people who are have to struggle to get by, or you're outraged by them having kind of an okay life, sitting on you know like on the street, just kind of receiving their benefits. Now, if you imagine the UBI experiment in Finland on the with a similar position then the show would be like it show people being happy i think people would be some people would feel outraged because actually that's not what welfare is supposed to be and that's like that's really shocking like mm. basically we're starting to be able to imagine a welfare system in which people are happier it works for people's happiness well-being like some of the stats on this thing were kind of amazing like the trust in the government's gone up like 20 percent from all the survey people like because mm. trust in other people the idea that actually you know this is kind of amazing, but obvious that if you give people material stability and an okay life, they kind of become nicer people. <laughs> I mean, Whoa. yeah. That's going to be a great excuse for me to use in future, given what a horrible person I am and how little material stability I have. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Subscribe to the Patreon. Yeah, Make literally. Milo a better person. I am so poor. Buy a ticket to my comedy night. <laughs> um, right? So it's, it's, it's this whole... And the thing is, right? Like what this, I think this shows us, what that shows us, is that the idea that we are necessarily competitive, that we must suffer uh, in order to live, has basically been a gigantic scam that has been pulled on most people for like hundreds of years. And we're finally beginning to realize it's not true. And there is a certain segment of our society that loves to suffer and make others suffer, Tories, that are basically pissed off that we're slowly beginning to realize that fact. Yeah, I think like basically the pressure. Like this is it's about pressure, isn't it? Like if you if you relieve pressure from people, then in order for that like material sustainability, their self reproduction, whatever, then you're basically like you start giving people options and like options for voice, options for you know kind of you know, taking some kind of political action, things like that, which like ultimately does not do. It doesn't support employers who want to put pressure on wages, who want to employ people, employ people on like bad working conditions. The point is. You, this is again. This comes down to kind of it's politics, really. Like it's a political question. 
you know, do we want the majority of people to have a certain amount of autonomy, little a, and, <laughs> and you know, certain kind of control over their lives, which in order to kind of thrive and allow, you know, for, again, like a friendlier, more trustful, this kind of civic value kind of society, or mm. do we want basically supreme pressure, scramble, race to the bottom for any any jobs a good job type society, which is basically what we have now. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the second one. I mean, is it, <laughs> is it even more in debate? Thing, I mean, that, that having that society relieves pressure, but it relieves the pressure that builds up in the forehead veins of like fifty year old guys from Maidenhead who just want to like punish everyone. But maybe they should just explore their kinks instead of uh, voting Tory and making everyone's lives shit. Iron Maidenhead, <laughs> pay your own bills. <laughs> the so, state shouldn't do it for you. Uh, so I've got anyway. a, I've got a reading. I've got a reading for the for the to, to close this out here, um, which is from uh, Fast Company magazine. Which I'm going to be honest has a couple of actually very good writers who will uh, who will write about. Um, like who will write write actually critiques of like the dumbass corporate culture, uh, and that's Kale Weissman, and then friend of the show Maya Kossoff has written for them before as well. They're both and they're both quite good. But, but everyone else who works there, <laughs> I know I, I have suck no, out fucking dick. <laughs> I I make no I make no motions in any way whatsoever. But make no of, mistake, if you work at Fast Company <laughs> and you're not Kale Weissman or Maya Kossoff, you have been you have been shown up. <laughs> You've been called out. Yeah. So this is an article on I guess there is I think the the broad the corporate culture the business school types they've also sort of understood that burnout is basically bad and that working people to the bone isn't productive. Um. But so they have a pro business solution that isn't a four day work week. Oh yeah, I love a pro business solution. Shall we like to hear about it first? Yes, I, do, discrimin- I do. Want to, I want to hear what this is. Maybe we should put it in the report. Here's What's the title? most discriminated against group business. <laughs> Here's the title. <laughs> Here's the title. Why work-life integration trumps work-life balance. Oh, oh Jesus wanked. Strap in. Are we ready, folks? Yeah. Please hit me. Ruin my day. One CEO makes the case for why integrating work into your life and vice versa is the future of the working world. With this one weird trick. <laughs> Have they heard of capitalism? <laughs> yeah. In today's ever-updating, ever-mobile workforces, a professional's time is precious. And he or she wants to optimize it as effectively as possible. These people can't even write. There's just, just like gibberish sentences that are just like lists of words that have been friend, slammed together. <laughs> no. Uh, professionals in all industries are casting out the notions of work-life balance in order to build better work-life integration practices where work and life are intertwined by leveraging technology to make it happen. You know what I find interesting about the work-life balance dichotomy is that like someone, I think Adam Kotsko put this on Twitter, he's like, Saying work-life balance basically makes work death. <laughs> so basically it's like saying, let's have a death-life balance. And then this one, the work-life integration is like, let's integrate death into your yeah. daily life. Let's be a zombie. Let's be a zombie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kill your soul. Yeah, because it's like, like it always, it, as most things, it goes back to Marx, that capital is dead labor that sucks the life out of living labor. And this is saying, no, mix the death in with your yeah, life. Yeah. yeah, the tango with vampires. Which one of the labor factions is dead labor? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so in 2007 Netflix CEO Reed Hastings Lived in Italy with his family While Netflix Based in Los Gatos, California Continued to soar He melded business acceleration With living and working remotely in Europe Reed Hastings It was his workers They made the business soar He didn't do fucking anything <laughs> So good Yeah I feel like I mean this is, this is why we think It's more important than ever To talk about 
the distinction between work and then also like autonomous time. There's a great, you know, Andre Gore said a great distinction. Heteronomous time where you're determined by other needs, other people, you know, your boss, and then autonomous time. And I think the work-life integration, the blurring between work and life is basically, who does, who succeeds in that? Is it, the, is it the people who need work from you or is it you who need a life? I don't hmm. think, I think that's the question we should be asking there. And I think, I mean, making, I, I talked to Ian Dale on LBC about this and it's kind of, it basically, it rings true of anyone who puts in unpaid overtime, which is most people, uh, that basically having hard lines as to when you should, when you should start. I mean, the, the TUC got a good calculator. If you, if you go on the TUC's website, they got a calculator for overtime and everyone who puts in the amount of time they work, the amount of time they're contracted for, like has a seizure or something. Like it's, yeah. It's, it's incredible. I also love how in all these examples of like, oh, the the work-life integration, it worked for this guy. And this guy always turns out to be rich as fuck. Like, it never, <laughs> it's never like, oh, it worked for this single mother. It's always like, oh, you know what? If you're a billionaire, this is great. Like, why can't you just be more like a billionaire? Like, why yeah, yeah, yeah. why can't everyone just be a billionaire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has anyone thought of that? I mean, you know. That, that's, an, that's an incredible thinking, too, where you're such a capitalist <laughs> that you accidentally become a Marxist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also think it's notable that they mention this guy, Reed Hastings, from Netflix, because Netflix has this model where they have, like, no set work hours, no set vacation time. You can, you quote unquote, can take however many vacation days you want. But what it ends up with is every reported outcome of, like, employee satisfaction at Netflix is they're all fucking miserable <laughs> because they all feel like they have to be available all the time and they never take vacations. Or if they do, they're like, I'm just going to go work from Italy. And then they stay in the hotel room the entire time because they need to be able to, like, make a new PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. But how else would you make great programming like tidying up with Marie Kondo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like basically the platform economy Tidying creates... up your integrated work-life balance <laughs> Yeah, I think basically, you know, labor and the platform economy Whether it's like the workers in the in the Amazon factories Or the people doing that horrible um, kind of video work for Facebook and YouTube Where they have to distinct like take out all the bad content before it gets to us Somewhere in Southeast Asia Or these people in Netflix Like platform labor is never really get that good Apart from like a tiny percentage of people um, And yeah, I don't think it should be valorized basically I don't think, yeah that's what work life in this this because this is a stupid ass concept that a business school came up with, of course, because business business schools are just like it's the preschool of university. It's it's where you go if you never left if you conceptually never left preschool. Speaking um, of someone who went to business school, yes, uh, it was Milo literally incredible. Went to business school to extend his time at Cambridge because he was bored and didn't know what to do. Yeah, that's and literally amazing. half the people there were Post doing work. exactly what I was doing, which is like fuck fuck the world of work. We're gonna stay right here in the cuddly place, and then the <laughs> other half of people were like dudes who wanted to work at jp morgan so bad that they'd kind of like destroyed their own mind and would like show up to lectures in a suit oh my Why? god were you impressing yeah. yeah in order to listen to a guy called eric levi who was actually an associate lecturer but referred to himself as professor levi oh and, my god uh, and i used to write him emails like dear eric and he would like passive aggressively reply prof levi and then i started addressing him as dear assistant lecturer levi <laughs> <laughs> owned so yeah. back to the article. We can attribute the success of these leaders to their, the, uh, their ability to integrate and optimize their talents, time, and their abilities, cool writing, <laughs> usability <laughs> twice, to mm. leverage technology to yield their best productivity. Wow. That's what we're doing right now, is it not? I mean, you know. It's like, we can attribute the success, again, we can attribute the success of these leaders to their ability to, like, 
tyrannize their workforce. Yeah, I mean, also the story is not about the workforce, is it? It's about how you've managed to like get the motor running so you can basically take some time off. That's yeah. not the same thing as basically, you know, letting everyone in the company or even more than just you have a better work-life balance. Like it's like valorizing one guy or normally it's normally a guy who basically like I take more vacation now, like look how clever I am basically. Yeah. I take more vacation mm. now. Everyone at my company shits in diapers because they're terrified of what I might do to them from my, <laughs> and I can fire them from my vacation. It's work-life integration, everybody. It's like, it's all of Charlie these. Charlie Kirk's an amazing guy. All of these articles, like every single article about like these in business intelligence are ones are all like, we're going to look at the behavior of CEOs as though CEO behavior can't just be whatever the fuck it wants because they're so powerful. Yeah, I think like, mm. I mean, that's what you get. Like, and after the report came out, you get, a range of articles. Some are like, this could be, this is great. Like we could all work less. We need to work less and hit this report tells you how. And then other articles were just like, uh, you know, say something similar and then go like, take a right turn and basically say, yeah, look at the CEO who does this or like, look at this one, one neat trick where you can basically work 40 hours in four days and it's fine. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. Cause it's like, no, you're, no, you're just working. You've just, you've just moved the pieces around. Yeah. 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 Tony Soprano was able to relocate, uh, managing his business to a coma for half of season six. And yet, <laughs> yo, those dream episodes were weird. Things continue to run well. P- proper post-work dreams for, for Tony Soprano. <laughs> he was hanging out with Buddhist monks inside his own mind while his business continued to run. Incredible. Um, The anywhere worker of today would say that work-life balance is out the window and (laughs) work-life integration is the future. (laughs) Work-life balance is out the window that you've just jumped out of because you hate your life. (laughs) Productivity isn't about the setting. It's about the mindset. Work-life... Work-life integration starts with analyzing how you work the best. Take a self-inventory on your work style. Ask yourself where, when, and how, by email, in-person, or video conferencing, for example, you perform to your highest caliber. The Anywhere Worker weaves these considerations with professional priorities and lifestyle choices. I mean, mm. if we all had these jobs, maybe we could talk about how we could do it better, but most people don't have these kind of jobs where you can do that. Like this, this idea that you can, like, <laughs> like, how many people have jobs where you're like, do I perform better in video conference calls or in person? Is my handshake firm enough to make like, to close those deals? Skyping no, no into has my that. job at Sainsbury's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As the no, voice of the automated <laughs> checkout. Exactly, exactly. No, like people don't ask these questions. There's like, like you know, high tech sectors are like maximum five percent of 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 employment in a, in one country as a whole, but most countries have less than that. So. It's like these questions are such a niche or niche audience. Yeah. Also, for reference, uh, Hussein tried to video conference into this episode, <laughs> and it did not work. So, um, yeah, that's the yeah that that is the thing. Like all of these discussions about the ways in which people work and trying to get to a place, even if it's this dumb bullshit that just is totally meaningless about work life integration, it's still pitched to a professional class that almost nobody works in. Like the real people who need to be like who basically need like all of our solidarity to be rescued from their shitty ass jobs that they hate are people who are like working on zero hours contracts or whatever and the right will always be like oh you profess to save these people that's so condescending it's like it's not condescending to save someone who's drowning i'm not insulting (laughs) them by inferring that they can't swim yeah it's like how dare you throw a life preserver to me do you think i can't swim (laughs) the right the right respects these people by allowing them to die with dignity (laughs) self-determined death no i think like i think ultimately as well the good thing about um or strategically quite good thing about work is that basically we all uh have some relation to it either we do it or we don't we either have a job or don't have a job and it's like has a universal effect and unless you have a serious amount of savings or you've got a rental income um 
and saying we should improve working life, we should all work less, more or less will have traction. I think people, those who are saying, oh, it's condescending, it's like, either what's your working life like? And if you're a journalist, I mean, journalism has been screwed for years, so you should probably get on board with like better working conditions. Yeah, or- journalists should be in favor of UBI because they're at a high risk of being laid off. Like, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> real. Unless, of course, you're like David Aronovich and you've like basically supported the Iraq war for long enough that you've got the journalist equivalent of tenure. Yeah. <laughs> well, then you, or you have to go to Australia. <laughs> just, just, like Barry Weiss just wandering around Australia looking directly at the sun for and a month. Being overworked is a... And wait... Listen to this, everyone uh, in the room and listening to die instantly. Being overworked is a global pastime. Wow. <laughs> that, I mean, technically that's, that's true. true. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's, it's true for like the last 300 years. Before that, like, you know, in, particularly in this country, we had like all sorts of festivals. We were like, <laughs> we were like, it's a witch thing, then it's like a dragon oh, thing. And then constantly. Yeah, like, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't stop I mean, having feasts. David Gray would talk about this the whole time. There's like, we had so many like festivals that were like, right, guys, what week is it this week? Is it like pagan, like kind of like, you know, whatever week? <laughs> um, Whereas like, yeah, fine. Overwork. Sorry, I can't make the Saturnalia. I'm video conferencing into my job as a surf. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. getting, an, getting an iPad on like a like a like a little robot wheel to go until the fields. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Being overworked is a global pastime that works against our success. Work fatigue always leads to being less effective and efficient. Over the years, we've identified the value of working smarter rather than working harder. But have we considered the third option, which is to work in a more integrated way? No, work less. <laughs> yeah, basically. Like this, I think what's interesting is that we'll have loads more of this. We'll get in the next five, ten years when. The solutions are coming thick and fast, hopefully from autonomy and others. We'll get more people being like, no, wait, the solution is just like, like work should be your whole entire life. And it's not about working less. All these naysayers about work, what it is, is making work better. And ultimately, I think we should make work better. But I don't think that's possible for the majority of jobs. And I don't think anyone, anyone who's working these jobs will, will feel like the trade-off like is a good one i think they'll want to say we should probably work less and maybe yeah we'll have better management but like <laughs> but let's we should probably work less like yeah so i think that's important that you bring this up i think so that's the official trash future stance if you're listening to this you should have been listening at your job you should have been listening to it on the toilet because they're paying you to be there and yet you're not working this is how we're going to strike the first blow for the four-day work week. Spend all day on the toilet. You should have been listening to it on the toilet while Bam Margera beats the shit out of you. <laughs> and you're going, come on, Bam. Um, Will, thank you very much for coming out today. No worries. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been yeah. a real pleasure. It's been great. Um, otherwise... Uh, we do have to add, though, that everything you said was bollocks. Unfortunately, that is, you know, <laughs> oh, that is a disclaimer. <laughs> we do have to. I'm um, obliged. The end by games. The, the end game of the tour. Is, we, yeah. we don't have anything. Um, we don't have any live shows coming up to plug. But Milo, you do. Uh, yeah, I do. I have a smoke comedy on the 27th of February. It's featuring Elf Lions. It's going to be great. Please buy a ticket. There'll be a link in the description. It's me, your boy, hosting. What could go wrong? Fan. Nothing. I'm doing my work, so make it better for me. Fantastic. Um, otherwise... Uh, what if you could just get the word bollocks printed on a t-shirt by Edie? I'm sure she'd love to do that uh, for you. Mm. Uh, otherwise, 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 God, I've, I've caught bad writing disease from this article. Fuck. I'm mm. fucked. <laughs> um, you should also listen to our theme song. It's called Here We Go. It's by Ginseng. You can find it on Spotify. Uh, mm. And with that, listen it to it instead of doing your work. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Replace your labor with 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 Spotify. Specifically, mm. Ginseng. Specifically, here we go. It's our theme song. Listen yeah. to it. He told us we could use it if we tell you to listen to it. Absolutely. All right. 
Uh, Will, thank you very much again for coming out. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.